Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Diving into the deep end and perhaps even some speculation, prediction for what the future might hold because we're going to have a conversation over this next hour about drug laws. They're changing in states and territories around Australia. In fact, the war on drugs is considered to have failed. Some drug commentators are now predicting that once flourishing communities, towns and cities are at risk of being turned into dystopian wastelands. Well, under the new decriminalisation laws in the ACT and in now the state of Queensland, police now only issue a warning on the first occasion and offer a place in a diversionary program run by healthcare workers on a second and third occasion. And only if drugs were found on a fourth time would police issue a court notice. And in states like South Australia and in the Northern Territory, someone caught with a small amount of cannabis can be fined instead of being charged. So what does the future for towns and cities look like in states that decriminalise drugs like cannabis, heroin, cocaine and speed? Well, we're back with drug educator Shane Varco. He's CEO at Dalgano Institute one of the 400-strong member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane Varco, a special welcome back to 2020. Always good to be here, Neil, and thanks for having me on. Shane, um, as I introduce a few thoughts there about changes, have you got any sort of snapshot of what decriminalisation of drugs looks like around Australia? Did I summarise that right? Is there more to add? Look, I think... Yeah, the summary is accurate. One of the difficulties with uh, the whole process of decriminalisation, we don't have a problem with certain aspects of the the design or, in fact, the principal uh, attempt to, to bring about change. But one of the difficulties about the decriminalisation mantra or, or format is it sends a tacit message of permission. And unfortunately, with something like a substance use, I mean, by the time someone, a police officer or, or enforcement, law enforcement is engaged with a substance user, it won't be their first offence. If this was their first offence, absolutely never used the drug before, this could be a good diversion tool. But most of the time, these are people who are using regularly. And unfortunately, because of the nature of substances, and the various substances have various deleterious effects on, on people, and they're very idiosyncratic. Drug use is very idiosyncratic. And, of course, dependency and addiction can arise very quickly. So then you've got people who have been basically continuing to use, and then the intervention comes and they go, okay, let's go into a diversion program. And it could be a seven-day detox with a bit of counselling, and then off they go again. And that's one of the concerns we have. But at the same time, we don't want to see the punitive aspect of this, which is what decriminalisation is trying to, to address, 
where people are locked up for simply smoking a joint, which is which is not the case in this country, but we certainly don't want to see that happening. So there is a, a middle ground. That's what we want to talk about, the judicial educator. We'll get into that later on. But, yeah, decriminalisation has, has got its merits, but unfortunately the way it's going to be handled is going to create some problems, as we'll see in other countries. We've talked about the issues before around harm reduction and demand reduction. And it seems to be that legislators, and let's let's assume their hearts are in the right place and they want to do the right yeah. things and they've, they've got the right intention for people who are dealing with drug issues. Uh, but this thought of harm reduction and demand reduction, how do you describe the very subtle and yet profound outcome differences? Well, again, I think it's important that listeners understand our national drug strategy. And, of course, most people aren't going to be reading policy or its framework, particularly if it's not in their wheelhouse. Um, so we, we kind of understand that. But the national drug strategy, as it stands, has three major pillars. And demand reduction is the first and priority pillar in that framework. The second one is supply reduction. And those two go hand in hand. And the third one, as important was harm reduction. Now, harm reduction was always meant to be about assisting those caught in the tyranny of addiction to exit drug use and keeping them relatively safe, relatively healthy as they exit drug use. But what the pro-drug activists have done, cleverly done, is they've got it underneath harm reduction and hijacked it, essentially. So the entire national drug strategy is now seen as a harm reduction strategy, or in fact, harm minimization is a platform name and it has those three pillars. And harm reduction is just one of those. Now harm reduction is seen as the go-to strategy. In other words, let everyone use drugs and we'll manage the damage as we go along. That's what's now emerged, a completely, a complete misuse of the policy platform, a complete misuse of both policy uh, framework and the intention of the policy. But interpretation of the policy has seen that shift. And, of course, with each shift, there's a permission model that's been further unleashed. And, of course, now you've got flat-out decriminalisation of all drugs in the ACT. And it was interesting that uh, when I spoke earlier in the year at a youth event, I was waiting to go into to the event, and a, a young 14-year-old came up to me and said, oh, are you speaking tonight about drugs? I said, yeah, I am. And he said, oh, I heard that in the ACT, you can get caught with a gram of cocaine and nothing will happen to you. Now, that's the message. That, that's the message was picked up by a 14-year-old in Victoria from that initiative. So you can see where the problems lie when, that, when decriminalisation is not linked to a restorative process that actually still continues to decry drug use and the harms that it does. So once you set a permission model up and you misuse the harm reduction framework, of course you're going to get more use. Then you get more use, then you get the whole mantra of, oh, we'll see everyone's doing it, it's not too bad. We're not seeing too much harm. And, of course, they suppress the data. Now they've collapsed all the uh, domestic violence data in, and drug use uh, assault into the into the one uh, framework now, mental health issues. So, again, you see all the the, the strategy of the pro-drug activists here to undermine good, solid policy, which is what we're pushing back against. Okay, so you had number one, demand reduction, number two, supply reduction, and then number three, third choice, harm reduction. But that's where we are reduced to now is the third choice. And and I wonder whether you've got any comparison. Is there a contrast we can make with 
other nations or other nations further down the track than we are? Uh, how do you see things internationally and where we are uh, on Australia's, you might even say, slippery slope right now with drugs? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Look, before I, before I answer that question, it's a good question, Neil. I think it's important to, to juxtapose uh, the policies as they work within our within the drug space in, in Australia first. It's interesting that we, a lot of people say our oh, prevention and demand reduction, obviously reducing the demand for drug use, preventing the engagement with drug use, preventing the uptake or delaying the uptake of drug use. Very important strategies, particularly for the young and, and the developing brain, which is up to the age of around 30 now. And for men, it's a bit older, women a bit younger. So it's a average of about 30 that the brain is still developing and every substance use, legal and illegal, does some level of damage to that developing brain. Of course, the younger, uh, the earlier the phase of that developing brain, the more harm can be done to it. So in, under the age of 18, it's, it's quite catastrophic. Up to the age of 25, it's not as bad. Up to the age of 30, not as bad again, but the harms are still being incurred. Now, it's interesting that in our national drug strategy, we have three drug genres. We have tobacco, we have alcohol, and we have illicit drugs. Now, it's interesting. I've said this before on this program, and I'll say it again. We've got a, a one focus, one message, one voice around tobacco. It's quit. There's no other dissenting voice. There's no other contrary voice in the marketplace saying, but it's okay to use a little bit of tobacco. It's okay to, to stock up a little bit and try it here. We don't have smoking rooms. We don't, we, we don't do any of those things. Those things can happen, and those obviously people create their own spaces. But in the public space, in media, education, government, and health, the mantra, the message, the voice is quit. It is a single voice. And it has worked. There are no permission modelling in that particular campaign. When it comes to alcohol, the message, and we've been part of pushing back the last 15 years, because we saw a great change in our culture up until the 1960s, and then they let it off the leash again, and then it escalated by the 90s. We're in a real mess again, so they started pushing back, and the pendulum swings in society. But the message around alcohol is very, very strong now. It's be responsible, be responsible, be responsible. Please do not overindulge, uh, which is a, a good message. It could be better, and we are pushing harder in that space because we now know the level of harms that alcohol do, particularly in the area of cancer. But when it comes to illicit drugs, no such messaging is in place. It's all, oh, it's inevitable. Keep using, just don't die. Keep using, just don't die. Now... We're empowering, enabling, and equipping, and, and in, in, in essence, in some settings, with our harm reduction mechanisms, endorsing ongoing drug use. Everything from injecting rooms to pill testing, drug testing, or drug checking, to, to be more technical. Um, they, these are all going not only against demand reduction, they're going against supply reduction as well. Now, when it comes to the other nations... They've started to step into this space, and, and particularly with harm reduction. And we saw that the big, the big poster boy, poster girl for this particular idea was Portugal, and it was lauded since 2001. And again, I won't go into the history of what happened in Portugal, but it, it is socio-political malaise that it came out of, and it, we moved from a basically a dictatorial uh, environment to a dem- democratic environment, and the legacies of that harm were great. Drug use took off very quickly in that country as a result of that change, and addiction went through the roof. Drug deaths were high, so they introduced harm reduction uh, and uh, decriminalised certain drugs very quickly to reduce the death toll. Now, that worked initially. So, oh, see what happens? But again, 
the amount of people up taking drugs and the level of involvement in, in, in injecting drug use was huge and staggering for a nation that basically had, was under the radar. It wasn't happening. But now we've seen the last 15 years, we've seen a big shift away from that. And Portugal is now unravelling. Uh, and it's a real problem. And now no longer the poster girl, poster ball, even though some countries like Canada and the US and other nations, Australia even wandered over there and did their set down with their pro-drug advocates and said, oh, this is working. The data coming out and the, the legislative changes now being uh, touted uh, saying this is not working. We've got open drug use um, in, in our streets. In fact, you can't smoke anywhere, but you can shoot up on the street corner. With basically with impunity, and so this is this is what's that wasn't the intention of the act, by the way, but this is what's emerged. And what's happened in the U.S. in in places like Portland, in Oregon, in, in um, Washington State, <clears throat> excuse me, in California, we've seen that this this decriminalisation of drug use and basically embracing harm reduction. And we're now seeing that you talked about dystopian future. I mean, this is hidden by so many. In fact, recently. Gavin Newsom, uh, the California governor, actually did what they did with the Olympics back in Washington, uh, D.C., uh, 20 years ago. They cleared the streets of all the indigent, drug-affected, mentally ill people and, uh, and made it, to tidy the whole thing up, which uh, central San Francisco was, a, was an absolute mess. And, and just to present this picture, of, which is so, so far from reality now because of substance use in that state... The chaos is staggering, and people are leaving. Um, now there's, because they've decriminalised uh, so many things, including theft now, um, it, it, again, the idea is we don't want to be punitive, we don't want to be punitive. So uh, people who are not stealing, not taking drugs, not homeless, uh, are now being basically intimidated and harangued out of entire neighbourhoods. Well, and so th this is, and these people aren't getting well, by the way. This is not a lifestyle where they are, healthy, productive, contributing, even sane. I mean, it's just horrendous. And, of course, not every person who is homeless in the U.S. is homeless because of drug use. We understand that. that there's, a, there's a correlate as well as a causal uh, dynamic in play there for, in both those places, so we're not saying that. But we know that when homeless people are given access to drugs and, of course, they want to self-medicate, then, of course, that escalates mental health issues. And, of course, the cycle just repeats itself. So you can see... The mess that's unfolding. But just interestingly enough, Ecuador and Thailand, who both uh, legalised cannabis or essentially legalised it, uh, are now reversing their their um, their positions as well. Canada, which is an absolute chaos now, has now come out with a five-year report, and this is interesting that you don't hear this spoken of very much. A five-year report on what happened because about the benefits, so-called benefits and/or detrimental impact of legalising cannabis. And the, the report, as much as written by arguably a centrist, if not pro-cannabis group, it's quite scathing. And one of the statements is as ironic to the nth degree, Neil, is one of the statements in that report was that we now have to treat cannabis like tobacco. <laughs> Again, the very thing we said was going to happen, you know, you introduce you know, a, a, a substance into the marketplace and certainly legalise it and commercialise it, then, of course, it, the use is going to increase. And the harms there to attending that substance will increase with it. And now they've got a public health crisis, as well as a homelessness crisis, a productivity issues, 
It just goes on and on and on. But again, all yep. this is buried by the proto-activists. So we've got decriminalisation coming in in Australia in a significant way. And uh, from what I pick up as you're uh, talking about the international uh, experience is that initially it looks as though it works. And then you get this growth of even homelessness on the streets, which has got this drug addiction foundation to it. Uh, then you have nations or states that try to window dress their cities and try and move the problem underground, but it hasn't resolved the problem. And uh, you've got then not only the decriminalisation of drugs and the things that go along with that, but then it leads to even decriminalising theft. And as you mentioned, uh, in some places... Uh, People are leaving, businesses are shutting down. Uh, In mainstream media, you rarely hear from anyone who's against drugs. The narrative is all about this decriminalisation of uh, marijuana and uh, hard drugs, and this has happened now in the state of Queensland and in the ACT. Uh, Interestingly, there's a certain hypocrisy that we could point to here, Shane, where uh, tobacco and vaping is uh, is demonised. But marijuana mm-hmm. and pills and hard drugs, like cocaine and heroin, uh, as you say, there's a, it's like an opposite. It's almost an endorsement of those, as though they're not harmful at all. Uh, there's a narrative here. You've got to be able to look carefully and see through it. Oh, exactly, Neil. And I think one of the, the difficulty with language, and even now with that conversation we're having right now over that statement, could be uh, deemed by many in the pro-drug sector as inflammatory, incendiary, and and conflated. Um, but they're saying we're not saying they're, they're, they're harmless. In fact, that's why they've still got penalties around them, blah, blah, blah. Concern around this is that we're, we're dealing with a highly idiosyncratic, volatile product. We know all the evidence is in. No, there's no, no credible dissenting voice in the marketplace that's going to tell you that, you know, oh, you know, just snorting cocaine's not too bad, it's okay, and you won't have any dramas, or, you know, smoking a bit of weeds, it's okay. Well, there's a lot of people in the marketplace around marijuana that do that. But anyone who looks at the science and anyone in law enforcement who deals with the outcomes of this, whether it be domestic violence, whether it be road toll, whether it be, uh, you know, just public uh, mental health issues, I mean, everyone goes, at some point, this started with a first use, and the argument now is, well, it's inevitable. So, again, your mantra is inevitability. What are people going to pick up on? When it comes to tobacco, the mantra is not inevitability. It's quit. The mantra is quit. It's not, oh, well, we can't stop. We can't help it. And we've got to remember, Neil, and the listeners have got to remember, tobacco was not a, is not only a legal, socially acceptable drug. It was championed by medical fraternity because the tobacco industry got behind them in the, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s and promoted this as a well-being substance, and it was not addictive. And it took nearly 30 years of pushback to expose the lies and the absolute fabrication and the manipulation of data that the tobacco industry had put in play. And they're doing it again with vaping. But it's interesting that when it comes to the marijuana industry – the cannabis industry, they're following the exact same big tobacco playbook and people are buying it as if it's, oh, yeah, this time it's, it's this is weed, it's natural. Well, tobacco is natural. And the stuff that we're dealing with now, cannabis has grown now, there's no such thing as a natural plant anymore because naturally occurring cannabis only had about 3% THC. You can't find that anywhere 
anywhere in the planet because the product has been so heavily engineered now with THC development, CBD manipulation, TH, Delta 9, TA8, sorry, Delta 9, THC, Delta 8, THC. All these things are being manipulated. So this is no longer a natural plant. This is a heavily engineered psychotropic toxin that's doing incredible harm, but it's being peddled as safer than tobacco and safer than alcohol. Shane, again, let's, let's come back to, to let's come back to what the future looks like because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, states like California in the US, where uh, in some cities like San Francisco, um, shopping centres closing down uh, yep. because of the drug slash homelessness issue, uh, big companies withdrawing, crime rampant. Uh, Is that something that, you know, is there a prediction for the future of some of our perhaps tourist centres in Australia uh, where those things could be something that we would expect if there's not something done to curb the the drug issues? Look, I think that's Australia's a little bit different in that context because there's a lot of factors that, that also contributed to that nightmare in the US is the defund the police movement. Uh, and again, only in certain states has this happened. And of course, states that have not defunded the police and have kept a law and order narrative, even though drug use is in play in those states, uh, the law and order is still solid. Drug use is still there, but it's not manifesting and it's not doing the same level of damage and harm in the communities because they're not allowed to. Uh, and I think that's a key issue. I think Australia is looking at some of that chaos and, and perhaps going, we don't want to do that. But the other thing we've got to remember here is that some of these countries, like the US, don't have a public free healthcare system. And this is a concern I have, that because they are free healthcare system, well, it's not free, someone's paying for it, that the capacity to use that and to divert people through the health system, all very good, very well, if the intention is to help them access drug use. If it's simply to divert them into the health system to manage their ongoing drug use, then their chronic drug use and the chronic harms not just acute harms of drug use, will continue to weigh heavily on the health system. And that's not even talking about their lack of productivity, their ability to contribute to society. And the dollar cost around this is staggering. Shane, let me ask you uh, about uh, homelessness. Right now we've got a homelessness problem that's growing in Australia. In fact, it's churches that are on the front lines often helping people who are in homeless circumstances. Uh, tents are being seen in parks and under bridges and all sorts of places you would not ordinarily expect that. Homelessness is not just a drug issue. In fact, uh, there's issues with uh, immigration numbers and the government's trying to deal with those. But in homelessness settings, drugs are a major problem and there's been all sorts of research identified that in places around the world how do we see things like that as being part of the whole issue? Yeah, Neil, I, it, it is a, as I said previously, it is a, an issue. We've got to be very careful how we engage with it. It can be uh, easily conflated and uh, we, don't want to, we don't want to be accused of doing that. But we do know that mental health, one of the really concerning things for us, we picked this up about eight or nine years ago. What they, what statisticians did, what, the bureaucrats have done is they've collapsed mental health issues and drug issues into the one demographic. So the impact of drug use on mental health, the impact of drug use on psychosocial phenomena, the impact of drug use on homelessness, but now they've collapsed it all into mental health. So everything's now mental health. 
So when someone is in homelessness or, you know, struggling with, with various manifestations, oh, it's a mental health problem. And it absolutely is a mental health problem, but what caused that and what is sustained that mental health problem? And if substance use is allowed to continue to be seen as, as just part of the narrative, and this is normal, we'll try and manage the damage, then we're not going to see a decrease in homelessness. We're going to see an increase in homelessness. And, of course, with each, each manifestation and iteration of that, there is a further, okay, well, how do we manage? Oh, let's hand out more tents. Let's hand out more swags. Uh, let's hand out more vouchers. And, of course, you can see where this is going to go if, we, if it's uh, done ad infinitum. And uh, I think it's US research uh, that I looked at a little earlier. Uh, approximately 38% of all homeless people abuse alcohol. Uh, that's already legal and uh, no criminal uh, attachments there. 26% of all homeless people abuse drugs. Close to two-thirds of homeless veterans suffer from alcohol or drug abuse. And homeless people are nine times more likely to die from an opioid overdose than the general population. So when you are going through that crisis in your life and you are forced into homelessness, drugs and alcohol are a go-to to soothe the pain. Is that one way you could look at that? Self-medic, yeah, thank you, Neil. Self-medication is a, is a real problem. And, of course, this is where harm reduction initially as a pillar of, of uh, drug policy management was to help those who are struggling with a, a, a self-medicating problem to actually keep them alive while they exit drug use. So dealing with the problem and, therefore, then helping them exit drug use that with the coping mechanism, which is unhealthy and unhelpful for their problem, only making it worse. But what's interesting, though, is is that this is where harm reduction has been hijacked. And once you have a permission model, this is the, the, the decriminalisation isn't about helping the poor homeless person. It's about giving a free pass to the recreational the user, the recreational user of substances. I'm not going to use the term recreational drug use. The recreational use of substances. So the uh, and what concerns me, a lot of uh, promoters of the, these policies in the political space I uh, think it's okay to, you know, do a line of coke or smoke a bong to relax because, and we don't want to do that with uh, with uh, the penalty over our heads. We want to do that with impunity. So it's not just a cynical view of this particular uh, current emergence. This is actually real. And I've had engagements with uh, certain politicians in states who basically said people like getting high. They want to get high. You're not going to stop this. This is inevitable. That was one statement from a young politician in WA. So, again, here we have... This is not about helping the poor and the homeless and the and those self-medicating with substances. This is about giving a free pass to party. And, of course, we know, as I said, again, we're going to circle back into this, substances are idiosyncratic, and people think they get away with it, and every person who has their first or second or third drug use had a good time, supposedly. They came down hard afterwards, they always do, but there didn't seem to be any long-term effect. Every drug use is doing a level of damage, and, of course, the potential for dependency is always there, but forget dependency. The diminishing of the your the biological unit is always in play. So health issues will manifest in time. And again, putting an undue burden, an unnecessary burden on the health system. Free pass to party, and that leads to uh, the likelihood of increased drug addiction. What do we do then with nations like Canada? which has become almost a caricature of the way they've moved in so many different woke policies. But Canada set now to legalise euthanasia for drug addicts, almost as though it's more economical for a government to suggest that maybe you should end your life 
uh, rather than to supply the services that would be able to improve them. What do we make of those sorts of things? Well, I'm going to put out a, a pretty provocative statement, but we're talking death penalty by proxy here. The Canada will decry uh, a place like Singapore or Indonesia for their death penalty for drug traffickers. And I'm not here to say death penalty is a good idea or not. I'm not going to say that. But they decry and rail against them in the international sectors. Yet here we have a proposition that basically says uh, we've let drugs go. Your, your life now, again, is this person who wants to end their life, were they psychologically or, or emotionally damaged and therefore took up drugs to manage that and has made them worse? Or did they take up drugs recreationally and end up being psychologically, emotionally and damaged and now they're depressed and dysfunctional and want to end their life? Either way, then now the government's proposing that oh, we'll let you kill yourself by proxy. In other words, we're endorsing the death penalty for drug use. Now, this is a staggering emergence, and as much as you want to paint this in any other way you want to paint it, it's an absolute abhorrent act. And this is, again, we let this stuff off the leash. Those who can basically the answer, and I'm going to use this mantra, if you can't handle your drugs, that's on you. Bad luck, buddy. Suck it up. That's literally the underlying mantra here. The war for drugs, which is that we now have in play in Canada and the US and in parts of Europe, the war for drugs is raging. And the, this, these narratives are all part of that. And all we want to do is continue to keep pe people in this place of, of mind-numbing, uh, quasi-hedonism, but basically self-medicating against meaninglessness and purposelessness. And I think that's one of the biggest issues which we can go into later on. But, yeah, we are seeing this kind of culture emerge and i think the netherlands are even playing with this idea as well although it's not on the statutes so i think this, this is this is the inevitability of these dysfunctional policies taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's take a call james is in kyabram in victoria hey james welcome along hey, hey, james. hey neil hey sean I, hey mr varco i don't know if you're related to the uh, varcos from benella uh there's a mayor Don Barco and I knew his son, um, but that's a separate issue. That might be an aside. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah very much broken my heart at the moment. I've been watching the uh, Vancouver Canadian kids on the street. Well, not all kids. Some are grown up and they're hunched over because they're hanging around. And and I thought we need to send these to the politicians. Those are going to be in Queensland and stuff. But also, really, I, I really want to ask Australia, please pray. I came in on the decade of harvest, nineteen ninety to. 2000, they thought, you know, the 2, 2KY thing was coming in. And I tell you, it got me in more dedicated than, than I could ever be imagined uh, to have been with God. And so I just pray, I pray you, you'll pray now for these people because it's absolutely abhorrent to see it. There's people going in there. They can't go into shops with their cameras. The, the shopkeepers will chase them down the street because they're selling illegal paraphernalia to try and provide or pacify the druggies. But you know, they're saying about homelessness. These kids don't need a home. These people, they're just on the street sleeping, heads against the wall. It's absolutely, and the streets of Philadelphia, I'm watching that and just, you know, I've just got to get on my face before God and, and just ask you in Australia, please pray. That we, if prayer makes a difference. I'm, I'm here because of prayer. I James, thank you for what you're doing. James, a good contribution. A thought there from you, Shane? Oh, look, I... Uh, I, I I'm fully aware of, of the footage that James is talking about. We, uh, we also have a platform called don'tlegalisedrugs.org. It's an international platform that we don't talk about much. It's our international offering. 
And we've posted a lot of that data up on those websites as well as their no-brainer one. But specifically, that, that platform is dealing with the legalization issue because uh, we saw this coming you know, 15 years ago. And so that, that we post a lot of that material online. We have sent that to politicians. You'll be rest assured, James, that they've got um, – we, we have a, a portfolio called Legalising Harm about the, uh, the cannabis issue, and that's been sent to – all major politicians. We've made submissions to the federal government and the recent inquiry into legalising cannabis nationally. The ACT, we were, we initially were engaged by the ACT government, then they, they found out we weren't AC, uh, AC territorians and they excised us from the debate. Uh, so um, that was handy. But again, it's all coming from a particular uh, ideology. This is ideologically driven, not health driven, not law driven. It's is ideologically driven about um, yeah, literally recreational substance use. And uh, there's a sinister plot going underneath this, uh, but we're, again, that goes into, into that right now. But there's been international uh, plans to uh, to flood basically the world with, with substances. And, and this is, uh, again, to derail young and the emerging generation. And that's what we're seeing. And those, that footage that you're referring to, James, is not just in Vancouver, it's in Seattle, it's in Portland, it's in San Francisco, it's emerging in New York. Uh, and, and again, these these are, are hidden for the most part or ignored for the most part. James in Kyabram, thanks so much for your call. Talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Interesting, while we're talking about these hard drugs being decriminalised, uh, heroin, cocaine, uh, you know, the marijuana issues... Uh, there's a new and it seems to be evolving synthetic form of drugs and it seems to be that even these synthetic forms of drugs are even able to be made at home these days. Are we headed for some major, major problems because it's not just these well-known hard, dangerous drugs that we're talking about, but it's all of the new array of drugs that are on the streets and available to people to buy easily. Yeah, unfortunately, we live at the manufacturing side of things is a lot easier now. Cathinones and what they call uh, um, novel or new psychoactive substances, uh, the Delgado Institute presented in 2021, or 2020, I think it was, to the United Nations on this issue. We did a, we did a presentation. It was only given five minutes. But that's a, a, a we have an entire seminar on that, and unfortunately, uh, we've also got one of the, the, the dangerous things about this. What they call uh, it's it's called synthetic cannabis. You know, thing names like spice, purple haze, or different different aspects. But basically, they're manufactured by manipulating just a couple of chemical uh, arrangements within the the uh, within the construct, and you can create it in your own lab. Crystal meth can be now made without pseudoephedrine. Uh, it's, it's, so it's now called, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's, so they're finding ways to do this. And this is concerning because these substances are incredibly nasty. And again, one of the reasons why pill checking or drug checking has been introduced because of these manufactured toxins. And again, so the idea is, hey, bring your, keep using your drugs, but if you're not sure what they are, bring them to us, we'll check them. And again, what that's doing now is undermining supply supply reduction and demand reduction because they're both, that, that mechanism by itself shatters both demand and supply reduction uh, pill pillars. It just undermines them straight away because they're saying, okay, you're going to use drugs, keep doing them, just bring them to us, check them first, and if they're okay, according to our analysis, then you can have them back and go for it. And uh, so that's, again, 
these are concerns that are that are unraveling us in the public health space and we cannot this is a black hole public health expenditure is a black hole we can't keep digging and this is what's going to be a real problem and this is going to bite hard in the future generations is it another evidence that we're on a downward spiral here uh, when you think of the United States and those states where there's been a decriminalization, a legalization, even, you know, people who have marijuana for sale? They're advertising it on the side of buses and billboards. and But the challenge there, and of course, governments think they'll tax this new industry, but new industry operators are going out of business because the black market is bigger and is more competitive than they can be under a new legalised regime. Uh, this is something that seems to be beyond the control of authorities. Completely. And this, this is the irony. We, we all said this was going to happen. Anyone who's got a, a modicum of, of economic understanding, particularly about illicit trades, Illicit trades don't stop because you make the, the product legal because the, the illicit trade is, can, continues to operate because they want to make money. Criminals don't stop being criminals because all of a sudden their product has been decriminalised, as we see with theft. We decriminalise theft. It doesn't stop theft. It just means they're not being charged for it. But the people are still losing product. The economy is still suffering. There is a black hole being dug economically. But we don't worry about that because, oh, we don't have a crime problem. You know, we... So when it comes to the illicit market, uh, in Colorado, one of our, our DART reference to think tank uh, members, who is a doctor and a professor in Colorado working with the marijuana space, in Colorado now, we're the first state in the US that was legalised cannabis um, for recreational as well as medicinal use and then de quickly decriminalised most of the drugs afterwards. They, they promised, they promised revenues for schools, revenues for parks and revenues for those unfortunate souls who got hooked on cannabis and end up being addicted, we'll help you get off it because we're benevolent and generous. Now, she told me even two weeks ago, she said now the state government is bailing out pot shops with with uh, revenue to keep them afloat. So not only are they not getting any tax revenue in, they are now bailing out because they've commercialised it. In America, it's a little different to Australia. They commercialised it one, and in America because of their freedom, uh, their, their constitutional parameters, once it's been commercialised, you can't stop advertising it. You can't put, you can't hinder the advertising. So it, it's it's a free-for-all. Okay, let's come back to a slippery slope. And only a few minutes are remaining here. And we're talking about a dystopian future uh, under a the drugs problem as it continues to perpetuate. And so you've got drugs and mental health and homelessness issues, and we've been talking about some of those. Um, some evidence out of the US as to how things go down the slippery slope. Uh, I did read one article, I think it was in reference to San Francisco, where they uh, they moved to, a, to give people who are homeless a right to loiter. So the, the laws, once one law changes... Uh, to allow uh, the decriminalisation, there are more laws to follow. The right to loiter, even when loitering was previously prohibited, the right to rest or sleep in a public space, the right to perform human functions in a public space, and that includes urination and defecation, uh, the right to be intoxicated in public, uh, the right to transport and store all of your belongings with them. So you've got this right to camp out in public spaces. Uh, these sorts of laws, um, what it's, it seems to have, have uh, had brought about 
is that people are then deserting the homeless shelters because now it's better and I have more rights if I live on the street. Any thoughts here about, you know, how these things eventuate and, uh, you know, these things perhaps we have to look forward to challenges like this in Australia? Well, again, you're right. The human condition is is one that fails badly without good, sound boundaries. And boundaries are not moral legislative statements. They are best practices for health, well-being and community. So we, we let's step aside from morality, let's step aside from spirituality, let's step aside from all those things, which are all valid and important, in fact, underpin the vast majority of best practices anyway. But it purely from a health well-being, productivity, safety, community order, community well-being perspective, once you start giving the right to breach those practices, then you have to manage those those ongoing breaches because they incur other breaches as well. And so what we're seeing is, this again, this uh, unfurling of chaos. And it's basically a well it's, – it's like trying to herd cats and trying to shut the gate when the, when the horse has bolted, all those analogies – but, Neil, before, before I – we're going to finish in a couple of minutes. That, that's a concern. And one of the things that we're trying to do here at uh, Delgano is obviously address that, pushing back back against bad policy interpretation, pushing back against um, the misuse of good policy. Again, we want to see um, not punitive policies in place. We want to see people put in jail for, for using drugs. We want to see them exit drug use. We want to see them and using the judicial educator, the law, to help them do that. That's where drug courts are important. And arguably, the decriminalisation mechanism is to lend it to that. But what we're also doing, Neil, is we're, we're crafting community building enterprises, community building principles. And we've introduced a new platform called World Resiliency Week. And uh, it's, it's an internationally trademarked platform. And the idea is to help communities and societies build resiliency back into the communities because fundamentally... We're seeing a, a, a discarding of the ability to cope, a discarding of the ability for hope, capacity for hope, the ability to actually find purpose and meaning. And as a result, people are just leading into the the chaotic world of, oh, well, basically we might as well just drug ourselves into oblivion, party till we die kind of mantra, which we've seen happen in the 60s and we saw that, that mess that that created and we're trying to revisit that. And I don't know why for anyone who was still alive in the 60s going, that's a mistake we don't want to make again. But this is what's happening. And so we, we, we really wanted to reinvest. And this is where I think uh, certainly meta-narratives like like the value system that the, the Christian worldview uh, posits are, are vital in this space. And it's not just about rules and regulations and morality. This is about a, a narrative that actually brings resiliency to the community. And I think that's one of the things that we, are, and from a secular perspective, one of the things we're wanting to really promote uh, in the marketplace again to giving families and communities the hope to change for the better not just succumb to this mess well our christian values and our christian work uh, that does need to rise to an occasion and bring that resiliency into our local communities and interesting when we talk about the the fence at the top of the cliff which is, I think, what we're talking about today as we perhaps get into the deeper waters of predicting outcomes of what might be ahead of us. Uh, because at the bottom of the cliff, typically that's where the church is involved because we're often cleaning up 
the challenging things that uh, we fall into and that uh, ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, which is where we hope our health system will be strong enough as well, but there'll be uh, Christians involved in that. And so when you've got homelessness on the streets in different uh, nations and different states around the world um, where the homeless are actually fed by typically that'll be a lot of church interaction, uh, weekly haircuts, uh, manicures, pedicures, uh, even free medical and dental uh, that is offered to people who are homeless. And oftentimes uh, that's coming with a Christian foundation. Hey, good to talk about these things. And I guess there's no real resolution. And uh, I think we just take what you said, Shane, at the beginning. Um, it's not that you want to wish this onto a society. Uh, but to talk about this in advance and say this is where we may be headed if we go along the same uh, pathways that we're going to now with the sorts of legislation that's passing around drugs, I want to point people to how you can connect with Shane Varco. Shane's the CEO at Dalgano Institute. It's a member organisation of the World Federation Against Drugs. And so it's an alternative view that you're hearing today. You're not hearing much of this at all in mainstream media. So to connect with Shane, dalganoinstitute.org.au. And uh, I'll often mention that website for nobrainer.org.au. You can subscribe to their newsletters, and it's particularly good for young people, but a really wonderful way to get get a handle on uh, how to deal with drugs issues. You can also check the YouTube channel for No Brainer. So nobrainer.org.au, dalganoinstitute.org.au. Shane Varco, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, shoot the breeze on a few ideas today on 2020. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.